Well, good evening, everyone. Whoa. It's great to, to have you all here tonight. Uh, this is a little bit of a different setting for us, and uh, we thank you for your courage to combat COVID with your, I can't think of another word that starts with a C, with your being here. How about that? Uh, but welcome. We are grateful you're here. We want to thank all of you who are watching us online through uh, the live stream feed. We welcome you as well. Understand that there's a bunch of you out there tonight, so thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Frank Loria, and uh, I have the privilege of hosting the Alpha Course along with our senior pastor, Keith Collins, who's waving at you right now. Keith, thanks for being here. Um, this marks the, seventh, the 37th time we've done Alpha here at Lakeview Christian Center. Uh, if not for Hurricane Katrina in 2005 or Hurricane COVID in 2020, and maybe 2021, and uh, who knows how long, uh, this would be our 39th Alpha. And uh, to those of you who are not here in person with us, we are sorry because you missed a great dinner, wouldn't you say? So sorry for you guys, but the, the 50 or so people who are here tonight, uh, we appreciate you being here. Typically, this room would be filled with round tables, and there would be anywhere between, if you've been to Alpha before, there'd be over 200 to 230 people present. So let me tell you, I'll tell you a little bit about myself and then I'll tell you, give you a little bit of a history of the Alpha Course and, and why I believe it's going to be worth your while to be here for the next three Tuesdays. So a little bit about me. I, uh, professionally, I own a small uh, re- recruiting company, a professional recruiting company just a couple of blocks from here. I've been in the recruiting business for over 41 years and my wife and I have attended, we've attended this church for just over 40 years years, and we've done that along with our family, where I have also the privilege of serving as one of the elders here. Well, the, the most important thing I, I should do tonight is to first introduce my wife to you. I know you folks on camera will not get to see her, but Annette, if you just stand for a minute or just wave at everyone, thank you. She is my, uh, she is my better three quarters on an off day and uh, has been my bride for 42 years, uh, one month. 10 days, um, 38 minutes. Um, uh, we have three grown kids who are married to three other grown kids uh, who have given us 11 grandkids who think they're grown kids. You know how that goes. Um, and both Annette and I grew up in New Orleans. Uh, Annette went to uh, Dominican High School because in New Orleans, that's what we care about, where you went to high school. And, of course, Dominican's feeling pretty good right now, so whether you like it or not, Amy Coney Barrett is a... Supreme Court nominee who graduated from New Orleans-owned Dominican High School. Uh, I went to a, an all-boy military school called New Orleans Academy, uh, where I graduated top 18 in my class of 21. And um, I chose not to pursue a college degree, so I attended Louisiana State University. Um, but that's really where I first met Annette uh, swinging from a chandelier, actually, at our first fraternity party, and that's really where she caught my eye, uh, with, with her heel. And, um, and then my shoulder with her knee, and down we went, and as I like to say, she's been all over me ever since then. Um, may not be true, but it's fun to tell it that way. So the Alpha Course actually had its beginnings in London, England, back in 1977, at this little Anglican church. Well, then in 1985, a gentleman by the name of... Uh, Nicky Gumble, who was the rector at Holy Trinity Brompton Church in London, took over this fledgling in-house church Bible class called Alpha. And uh, today, 
this Alpha course has gone all over the world. It's in over 100 countries and 100 different languages and is taught in virtually every Christian denomination. And over 25 million people have attended the Alpha course over those years. Here at Lakeview, like I said, we've been doing it since 2001. Uh, We typically do Alpha twice a year. uh, And we've had over 8,000 folks come. And it's been a lot of fun, and we love doing Alpha. It takes about 100 people typically to put on Alpha every night. But Alpha is an invitation to think. It's an invitation to reason. It's an invitation to talk and to listen in a totally non-threatening atmosphere. Now, okay, in today's world, to say non-threatening seems impossible, but I promise you, this will be, there's will be no protesting or anything like that. This will be a non-threatening atmosphere for us to be in, just to talk about what the Bible has to say about God and what the Bible has to say about you and what the Bible has to say about me. And so that's what we'll do tonight. When I'm done here... Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to just spend some time around the tables asking some questions, and, and you'll be free to do that at home as well. And when I'm done, I'm actually going to put some, some questions up on the screen that maybe you can have some conversation among yourselves as well. But this is our hope. In the midst of our 100-mile-an-hour lives, that we'll just take Tuesday evenings, maybe more, just to push the pause button and think about questions of life we need answers to, important questions. And what Alpha is, is an opportunity to think about not just what we believe, because a lot of us don't really spend a lot of time thinking about what we believe, particularly when it comes to spiritual things. But not just what we believe, but why do we believe what we believe and not believe what we don't believe? And to do that, we're going to need to spend some time thinking. We're going to need to spend some time questioning, examining what we believe. It was, it was Socrates that said, uh, the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, wow, what a, that's a pretty in-your-face statement. The unexamined life isn't worth living. Well, what, what does he mean by that? He says, well, if we're going to attain what the vast majority say we want, meaning, purpose, identity, fulfillment, we're going to have to examine what we believe and why we believe it. But for that to happen, we're going to have to at least tap the brakes of our lives for a little bit, or maybe slam on the brakes, to really sit and take time to listen. Uh, Os Guinness wrote this. I think this is a fascinating statement that I really appreciate. He says, um, most of us feel immortal in our teens and 20s. I, anybody here remember your teens and 20s? Okay. Um, then we move through life so fast in our 30s and 40s that we lose sight of the journey. And how true is that, right? You're getting your career on track. Your kids are growing up. You're buying stuff. You've got debt. I mean, you're just you got blinders on because life is so hectic. We only think about our careers and others, as I said. Even in our 50s, we barely hear the roar of the rap- rapids several bends down the river. Have you awakened to the journey of life? That's a good question. Have you awakened to the journey of life or are you among those drifting down, quickly drifting down the years? Or are you among those so caught up on the project of themselves? Ouch that they or we choose not to hear the flow of time. I I was 34 years old just yesterday. And then Saturday I turned 64. I just don't know how that happened. But it goes so quickly. But you don't know how quickly it goes until it's gone. 
He says, are you living an unexamined life or are you living in the hand-me-down? Again, be challenged by this. Be offended by this maybe. Are you living in the the hand-me-down ideas of others? Are you open to the full interrogation of life? Or are you close to the search because you believe what you've always believed without question? Hmm. Now, you'd think, wouldn't you think that those who've you know, climbed the ladder of success, those who've made it to the top of their trade, uh, wouldn't have those questions? But apparently, they do. And tonight, we're going to look at some of those folks that have some of those same questions that we do. Shia LaBeouf. You guys remember him. He says, sometimes I feel like I'm living a meaningless life and I get frightened. I know I'm one of the luckiest dudes in America right now. I have a great house. My parents don't have to work. We can't say that. Um, I got money. I'm famous. But it could all change, man. It could go away. You never know. I don't know how to handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. I don't disagree with that. Uh, I have no idea where this insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it, and I'd be on my way. And then there's this guy, Tom Brady, a few years ago, interviewed by 60 Minutes. This is what he said. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? Well, now he's got six Super Bowl rings. Um, He's looking for another one that he is not going to get, is he? No. We have anything to say about it. Um, And still there's something. He says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings, six, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. And then Steve Croft, who interviewed him, asked the question. He said, "Well, well, what's the answer? And Brady responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love deflating footballs. No, he didn't say that. But, and that's Keith Collins' joke. So I want to give Keith credit for that. It's a great joke. I loved, and I love being quarterback for this team. Well, I loved being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think, look at this. This is Tom Brady. Okay, we're talking about Tom Brady. He says, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. I mean, how many more parts can this guy have? You know, he's got the wife, he's got the kids, he's got the celebrity status, he's got the money, he's got anything he wants. But regardless of that, something inside this have-it-all man says, nope, you haven't arrived. Ted Turner. So you got a media mogul, married to Ann Margaret for a little while, I don't know how long, um, started CNN. He's, and this is during an interview with Barbara Walters. She asked Ted Turner, what do you mean by success? What to you is successful? And this is what Turner replied. He says, I think it's kind of an empty bag to tell the truth. You have to get there to to really know that. Money doesn't buy happiness and neither does honors or position and awards or trophies. I mean, I would not mind holding his empty bag for a." About a year or so, but and then and, and and then here's Ted. Just a couple of years ago, we're all getting up there. 
One of the craziest men in the world, Jim Carrey, said this. I love this. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. So what is the answer? Well, a lot of folks, in terms of their philosophy of life and what they believe, we maybe never get there. Ralph Barton was 39 years old. He was a world-famous cartoonist and illustrator. He drew some of the most famous people in the world during the 1930s, 1920s. But he took his life when he was 39 years old. He'd been married four times. And this is what he said. He says, I've had few difficulties, many friends, great successes. I've gone from wife to wife to wife to wife and from house to house and I guess house to house, um, visited great countries of the world, but I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up a 24-hour day. See, Ralph Barton's worldview, philosophy of life is, I'll do this until I can't do this anymore, until it doesn't make sense to me anymore, until I'm not fulfilled anymore. And he took a gun, and he put a bullet in it, and he put the gun to his head, and he pulled the trigger. Hmm. Well, then there's the great philosopher, Woody Allen. Woody Allen said this, and you really need to pay attention to this. He says, more than any time in history, mankind is at a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness. The other to total extinction. Let us pray we have the wisdom to choose correctly. (laughs) Do you want to hook up with him anytime to have a conversation? I don't think so. Now, of course, he's joking when he says that. But really, in his mind, he has seen, I've gotten a lot, but none of it makes any sense to me. And then there's, let's go to the academic side. The professor from the University of California at Los Angeles, UCLA, um, he's deceased now, Dr. David Kalish. Uh, This is what Dr. Kalish said about trying to make sense out of life. He says, there is no system of philosophy to spin out. There are no ethical truths. There are just clarifications of particular ethical problems. Take advantage of these clarifications and work out your own existence. You are mistaken to think that anyone ever had the answers. There are no answers. Be brave and face up to it. I mean, I just want to find Ralph Barton's gun after this guy. Um, but that, is his, that was his philosophy. That's what he believed. But with all due respect to Dr. Kalish, he contradicts himself when he says that there are no answers. To say that there are no answers is in fact an answer to the question, are there any answers? The professor also said that life has no purpose, but he made it his purpose in life to tell us that life has no purpose. And so we need to see, is there more to life than that? What makes, what makes Dr. Kalish the authority? The question is, who is your authority? Why do you or I believe what you or I believe? You know, the, the Bible that I had never read, by the way, but I have read over the last few years, does claim to have answers to essential questions. Now, what I'm not going to do tonight is ask you to believe anything I'm saying. I'm not going to ask you to believe what scriptures that I'm going to put up here that are attributed to Jesus. All I'm asking you to do is come and listen and find out what the Bible has to say. 
And when we find out what it has to say, at least we know what's in it, whether we agree with it or not. You know, the, typically at about this time during Alpha, I will ask a question to the 200 to 230 people that are gathered here. My question is this. How many of you grew up reading or studying or, or being fairly comfortable with the Bible? You knew about the Bible. And when I ask that question with two to three, 230 people up here, I typically get no more. I don't think I've ever gotten with two to 230 people in here, never gotten more than 11 hands go up of people that grew up reading the Bible, even studying it, or were familiar with it. Now, that's a fascinating thought to see that so few of us have actually an understanding of what's the Bible. And that's why I get so excited about Alpha. Because if you're anything like me, that's how you grew up. You didn't have an understanding of what was in the Bible. I didn't even know the the children's stories about Noah. I didn't know any of that stuff. But to answer worldview questions that are transcendent beyond time, questions that like basic philosophy questions, origin, where did I come from? Destiny, where am I going? Most importantly, uh, purpose, why am I here? Now, I, don't, I don't think I have to ask you to raise your hand. Say, how many of you would like to know why you're here? Not here at Alpha tonight. I'm sure you're asking, like, why am I here? Um, but why, why am I on this planet? I think that's a good question. Well, the Bible claims that God made us to have meaning and purpose and to know that meaning and purpose. And as I said again, I'm not asking you to believe that. But just let's look at it together and see what it says. But if the Bible is true, that's a big if. But if it is true, Jesus stated that he came, that you and I would have life that would have meaning and purpose. It would, it, would, uh, it would be as valid during the thrill of victory or the agonies of defeat, to take you back to ABC's Wide World of Sports. Okay. A meaning and purpose that would be settled in the midst of a life that is unsettled. But to believe that, it requires... Faith. It requires faith. So let me ask you, are you a person of faith? You have faith? Got faith? Not so much? Um, Well, we, we exercise faith every day. There's not a day that goes by that you and I don't exercise faith. Um... Watch the weather? Do you watch the weather? You watch the weather, don't you? We're, are we watching the weather now again? We're watching the weather now again. Um, and uh, I'm beginning to wonder if meteorology is actually a science or, or, or what it is. Because you get there, and I mean, they cost you thousands of dollars because you, you cancel this party because it's going to rain, and it doesn't. Or you don't cancel the party because it's not going to rain, and it, it does. And I mean, this is, I mean, these guys just don't... So when you watch a weather report, you watch a weather report in faith. Now, I'm convinced, and this is what I would purport, if you get it so wrong so many times, if you miss where the, the rain cell is, you get to go to the jail cell, okay? You don't just get fired. You get hauled off by a cop, and you just got to find some other occupation where you can get it right occasionally. I hope they're totally wrong about this, don't you? I hope this go, just blows up and doesn't go anywhere. But we watch the weather in faith. Did you drive here tonight? Of course you drove here tonight. I don't think anybody flew here tonight. Um, but you, you, you drove here. Did you know you were going to get here? No, you drove here in faith. And I looked at some of the cars in the parking lot. Some of you drove here with a lot of faith when I look at your cars. Um, but, but you don't know your car is going to start necessarily. 
Uh, you don't know when you pull out into traffic and that there's a stop sign that that person's going to stop and a red light that person's going to stop. You don't know whether that person's texting next to you is paying any attention to their driving. Do you know that? No, we don't. We drive here in faith. Now, is it blind faith? No, it's not blind faith, but it's faith. It's faith, nonetheless. Um, by the way, did you enjoy dinner tonight? I, I really hope you enjoyed dinner tonight. I had nothing to do with it, but I hope you enjoyed it. Um, but did you, meet the, did, you, did you meet the chef? Did you have any idea of the person who prepared the food for you? Do you know what kind of day he, he had? No, he had a very bad day. And, and, and he, you know, it, he's just sick of alpha. Can I just tell you that? And sometimes he told us, one day I'm just going to, I'm going to do a little something to the food. And the people won't know it for a few hours. But let's just say that was, this was the day that that happened. Um, and then tonight, maybe 2, 3 in the morning, you start, you know, the grumbling happens. And then, you know, the problems start happening. And then, and then you call the doctor. And you go see the doctor in faith. Is this the doctor that you're going to go see? Nah. You know, he just left us. Did you know that? He just passed. Uh, so, I mean, he may have been magnificent, but he would not be magnificent as a doctor. Don't we all know that? But we go to a doctor in faith. We don't know for sure that the doctor is going to give us the right diagnosis, which will give us the right prescription for the right medication. We don't know. Is it blind faith? No, it's not blind faith. It's faith. You and I exercise faith every day. Faith is not necessarily a religious thing. Faith is an exercise that we put into practice every day. Now, how many of you enjoy flying? You enjoy flying? Flying is one of my least favorite things to do. I enjoy flying. But do you get on an airplane, Faith? Sure you do. Any of you not get on an airplane ever because you're just not going to do it. Okay. Oh, that's great. What, but what about this flight? This is flight 1800, 1549, leaving LaGuardia for Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, U.S. Air charged nothing extra for these folks to be able to land here in the Hudson. I mean, what, what a thrill, huh? Who needs to go to Disney after, after this? Uh, 35 degree water temperature, 18 degree air temperature, January 15th, 2009. 155 passengers learning the real meaning of flying on a wing and a prayer. I mean, that's what they learned how to do there. But here was the real problem. The real problem was illegal aliens. I don't know if you knew this or not. The problem with this flight, what brought this flight down was illegal aliens. It was an immigration problem. Because there were a gaggle of undocumented, undocumented Canadian geese that brought this plane down. And the Canadians should have to pay for that. I'm sorry. They should just have to pay for that. But you see, each of us, each of us have faith. And I, <laughs> uh, would you agree that the more evidence we have, the more rational the faith position? Have any of you ever sat on a jury? I've sat on a jury. I've had the opportunity to sit on a jury. And the, ju- the judge charges us as a jury. I got to be the jury foreman. The judge charges us to come to a decision. He does not say or she does not say beyond a shadow of a doubt. They say beyond a rational doubt. You have your information. And from the information you have, come to a rational faith conclusion. See, and that's what life is. All of life is faith. Now, when we get later on in, um, later on in the evening, I'll, I'll typically follow that question. First question I'll ask you guys is typically, how many of you grew up reading or studying the Bible? Second question I'll ask is something like this. 
How many believe, okay, 200 people in the room now. We've just had 10, no, between 4 and 11 hands go up when I asked how many of you grew up reading the Bible. Now I'm asking this question. How many of you believe, now you don't have to raise your hand, but please think about this. How many of you believe that there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat? It's going to last forever and you believe it's going to be good. You know how many hands go up? 200, 230 people? Virtually, not every, but virtually every hand in the room goes up. Now, I'm not upset by that at all, but my question is this. What is the evidence to support your position that there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat? Why do you believe it? Or why, if your hand doesn't go up, why don't you believe it? But I would, I would hasten to say that if I were to ask you to raise your hand tonight, virtually every hand would go up in the room that you believe that there's something on the other side of your last heartbeat and you hope it's going to last forever. Now, typically in this evening, I'll get my two grandsons to help me with this, but for the, for the size of the, of the room here and the size of the camera that is the ability to get take in this screen, I just want to show you this. We're just going to call this, this cute little uh, pink ruler, physical life, okay? Physical life from here to here. Now, life start, this will be the starting point of life and this will be the ending point of life. Now, here's the thing. None of us have an expiration date stamped on us, do we? Our milk has an expiration date stamped on it. Our yogurt does. Uh, our credit card does. But we don't know when we're going to go, do we? And so here we are in physical life, and none of us knows exactly where along this, this, the, this uh, linear continuation we're going to be. We could be here. This could be your last night. Huh. Okay. Uh, hopefully not. But... Uh, but you may be here. We don't know. But we're somewhere along here. And, but we say we believe something is going to last. Here's our last heartbeat. Okay. Ba-doom, ba-doom, ba-doom. Doo-doo. Okay. There's your flat line. And, um, and so we believe there's something on the other side of our last heartbeat. And we believe it's going to last forever. Now my question is, again, why do you believe that? How much time have you spent actually thinking about this? But this is what amazes me about us humans. We will spend more time here critically examining where we're going to vacation. We're putting the numbers together. We're looking at, at through, uh, through the internet, looking at all the places to stay, all the reviews. We are studying this sucker like there's no tomorrow. Uh, what are you going to study in school? What kind of car are you going to buy? Uh, what neighborhood are you going to live in? What kind of house? What's your profession going to be? See, we spend all these times, all this time critically examining stuff that's not going to last that long, and God forbid we get the wrong two-year cell phone policy. I mean, life is over. But how much sense does that make that we would spend so much time with things that are lasting such little time and not give some serious critical examination to the degree in which we humans can do to say, if there is something on the other side of my heartbeat, would I like to know, and it's good, would I like to know about that? Would I like to know how I end up there? Would I like to know what this means? And I don't know how anyone could say, nah, no thanks. I'll just take my, you know, take my chances. See, the question is in life, if there's something over here that's going to last forever, and I knew that was going to fall, 
wouldn't it make sense? I mean, really, this is just common sense. Wouldn't it just make sense for you to examine that more so than we examine getting the best cell phone policy? Not that we shouldn't do any of those things, but life is so much more than that. A guy by the name of uh, Ray Pritchard uh, wrote this, and I, and I think this is so true. He says, we were made to know God. We are incurably religious by nature. That is so true. That's why every human society, no matter how primitive, in the backwoods of Africa, right, in the heart of Manhattan, in the mountains of China, in Antarctica, wherever on the planet, we are religious, incurably religious by nature. That's why every human society, no matter how primitive, has some concept of a higher power, some vision of reality that goes beyond nature. We know that. There's something that's built inside of us that says there's something more than this. But if I keep piling on top of me temporary things, I'm going to have no, no time for that, no sight for that, no flavor for that. And that's why I said earlier, I am hopeful that together, together, we will push the pause button and take some time to really begin to think through, not just, well, what do I believe? But why do I believe what I believe? And I would argue, and what we're going to be doing here the next three weeks is see, what does the Bible have to say about that? Again, not asking you to believe it, but at least we're going to find out what's in that thing and what it says. C.S. Lewis, who was... Uh, a, a strong atheist. He was a professor of ancient English literature at both Cambridge and Oxford universities. Um, he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he, he called himself the most reluctant convert in all of England as he continued to look at the support for the Christian faith. And he continued to, it continued to open up his life. He saw how desperate his need for God was because nothing about his life and all of his accomplishments academically, relationally, socially satisfied him. And this is what Lewis said. I hope you'll give this a listen. He said, if I find in myself a desire, okay, a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world if you're Tom Brady, Shia LaBeouf, Ted Turner, let's say you're just all those, all those things piled up, it's still not fulfilling. And Lewis, who was doing his best to make it without God, said there's a desire in me that no amount of success in this world has been able to itch. It's not been able to itch that scratch. Interesting statement now made by a Christ follower. The most probable answer. This is something for you and me to think about. Is it the most probable answer? Is that I was made for another world. That's something worth thinking about. If that other world is going to last forever. Then Augustine. Okay, now we know Augustine is St. Augustine, right? We didn't know him as Hugh Hefner Augustine. We didn't know this guy as a playboy's playboy philanderer. We know. I mean, this guy was so famous, he even got grass named after him. Is this guy famous or not? Um, well, that... Is it named for him? I guess it is. Um, but look at what Augustine said. Augustine was right there with C.S. Lewis, right there with so many others. 
This is what Augustine said when he tried everything, every pleasure he could have, and this is what he says. He says in his prayer to God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. It seems like we humans have, a, have trouble finding our way. We have trouble getting away from the vertigo world in which we have placed ourselves where our heads are just spinning from one activity and meeting and game to another. But that's the defense, the Bible's defense, for the incarnation of the Son of God. This is what Christmas is about. It's actually about more than what we've made it into. Christmas is so that the Son of God comes to bring to us the meaning, the purpose, the identity, the peace in a turbulent world, in the midst of a turbulent world. This is what Jesus had to say about himself. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now that's either true or it's false. Did he say it? Did he not say it? Well, the Bible records that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this is what I love about this. He didn't say that your church attendance is the way. He didn't say that your good works are the way. He didn't say that the amount of money you give in the offering basket is the way to have peace and meaning and purpose in life. He said that I am the way. And we're going to spend a lot of time over the next three weeks talking about not, not church and trying to do good things and how can I know I'm, I know Jesus and that, that on the other side of my last heartbeat, I'm going to know that I'm going to be in a place that's going to be good forever. We're going to be dealing with the person of Jesus Christ, the person of Christianity, because Christianity is Christ. So he said, I am the way. See, Jesus understood the inner conflict of humanity. He, he understood and understands the human heart. He understands not just corporate human hearts. He understands Boyd's heart. He understands Clint's heart. He understands Amanda Squared's heart. He understands our hearts intimately, personally, according to what the Bible has to say. In John chapter 6, verse 35, this is what the Lord says. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He's calling himself the bread of life. And if one comes to him, he'll never hunger, he'll never thirst. Now, he's not saying he's a soup kitchen. You do understand that. He's not saying that he's just a place where you just belly up to the bar and I will give you uh, great tomato basil soup. Those those corn muffins are incredible. Um, But what he's saying here, he will fill the emptiness inside of us. That's his statement. That emptiness, that lack of direction, that internal itch. He says, I will fill your emptiness. He says, and you do that, you will never need be concerned about life and who's in control of you again. And he says, he who believes in me shall never thirst. He quenches that thirst for meaning and purpose and identity and peace and acceptance and forgiveness. And then Jesus said, we have recorded in John 10, he says, I am the door. 
He doesn't say, I am a door. He says, I am the door. He's saying, I'm the door to God. I'm the door to the meaning and purpose that we've been talking about. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will be rescued from wandering, from emptiness, from a life that just meanders until finally it's over. He says, you will go in and come out and find pasture. What he's saying here is the freedom of life of just coming in, going out, going here, going there, and finding pasture. That picture of pasture there is a picture of of great rest, rest even in the midst of the storms of life, whether they are physical storms coming out of the gulf or internal storms coming out of a, a bad health report. He says, he is our pasture. And then he said, I have come that they... Okay, when he says, I come that they may have life abundantly, what he's saying is that I have come to give you, in the midst of this world, life that's meaningful, it's full. It's a, don't, don't misunderstand here, but it's a Greek word, it's the only one I know, pleroo, which means full, which means full. Like sometimes when you eat, you get full, but it just stays that way, and it, but it feels good. It doesn't feel like it typically feels when you've had too much to eat. And so then Jesus said, not only, he said, I, I am... The way and, he said, I am the truth. Now, some would ask, particularly in this realm of religion, isn't it enough to just be sincere about what you believe? Isn't that just enough to just be sincere? Because Jesus doesn't say, I am a way and a truth. He calls himself the way, and he calls himself the truth. Does it really matter? I mean, the question is, I mean... If I'm really sincere, but you know, you can be sincere, I can be sincere and be sincerely wrong, couldn't I? I, That that was me. I certainly believed things about God very sincerely. I held my convictions firmly. And then I opened the Bible. And then I began to study. And I realized, ah, I was sincerely wrong. But does it matter? Okay, here's a question. Um, does it matter what we believe? Well, of course. I mean, now this sounds kind of an esoteric thought. It's not what you believe, but that you believe. Doesn't that sound great? It's not what you believe, but that you believe. Um, Okay. I don't want to be too critical about that. But do we really live that way? How How about this? It's not what you eat, but that you eat. I mean, anybody going to do a dumpster dive tonight? I mean... I don't think so. Anybody heading to the, heading to the pet food uh, aisle of uh, Winn-Dixie when you leave here tonight because you're just, just still a little hungry, a little crunchy? Um, I don't think so. Um, how about this? It's not what you breathe, but that you breathe. Okay. Now, could it ever be more appropriate to say it's not what you breathe, but that you breathe? You're wearing a mask tonight? I think you think it's impro- important what you breathe and what you and I don't breathe. Uh, how about this? I mean, you're young, you're starting your career, you know, you want to get a little money, you want to get it going, and you say, you know, it's really not important what we invest in, it's just that we invest. Anybody going to say that? No. Now, I can tell you some things I wish I had invested in, like Zoom. I mean, how many Zoom calls have I been on with my business in just the last, more than I could ever imagine? Okay, would have been a nice investment. But it's not what you invest in, but that you invest in. No, we don't live that way, that way either. How about this? It's not what you marry, but that you marry. Okay, now, now, some of you guys may be getting a little long in the tooth and it's like, I don't care. Just, just bring somebody here. I mean, I've got to get married. No, I don't. But, but we, don't, we don't live that way, do we? We don't live that way. 
So we may say that one of the things that bothers us about Christianity is that, but, that it's exclusive. You know, we may say that it's exclusive. But, but hear me when I say this. When, how can Jesus say, I am the way and the truth and the life? And we don't like those, those t- terms of exclusivity. But guess what? Every religion is exclusive. Every one of them. They have different tenets of their faith. Uh, Hindus believe in hundreds of gods. I'm not, I'm not being critical here. I'm just reporting here. Okay? I'm, not, I'm reporting. You, you can decide if you want. But hundreds of gods. Whereas Islam believes in one God. And the way you worship him is through Muhammad and through the Quran. Uh, Buddhists don't even believe in God. They just believe in steps in life and reincarnation as do Hindus till you reach what, nothing with the oneness in the universe. Okay, Mormons believe in a multiplicity of gods. Uh, so we could go on and on and on of different tenets of faith. Muslims believe you have to keep the five pillars of faith or six for jihad. Buddhists, the eightfold path of enlightenment. Jews would say ten commandments or even more so. So, so there's something called the law of non-contradiction where it says not everything can be true at the same time if it's saying something different. So the question is, yes, which one of them is true if any of them are true? But they can't all be true at the same time because they are constantly beating up against one another. They contradict one another. What I love about the God of the Bible is he has instructed you and me to not check our brain at the door. Way back in the beginning of the Bible, in one of the first five books of the Bible, it's recorded by Moses that God said to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. God expects you and me to use the mind, the brain that he gave us to think humbly and rationally about things. If you're not going to check your brain at the door about your cell phone policy, don't check your brain at the door about what's happening on the other side of your last heartbeat. Because if the Bible is true, and I will argue in the next coming weeks that there's a lot of evidence to support it, If Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and I will argue that there's a lot of evidence to support it, you don't have to believe it, then possibly we want to give more critical thought to what we believe and why we believe it and the ramifications of that than maybe we we ever have. It's interesting. Jesus also said that I am the life. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. See, the Bible teaches this, that we were made in the image of God, but, but we marred that image many years ago when in the garden, okay? Back in Genesis 3, we see that, that our, our first progenitors, our mom and dad, Adam and Eve, the first two humans declared their independence from God. When God set in the midst of them, in the midst of the garden, two trees, one of the tree of Life and one of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, whatever you do, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, the day you do this, you will surely die. And they did. They didn't fall over dead, but they died in terms of their connection with God. Their connection with God was separated. And in terms of God, they died. In terms of their relationship with one another, 
they were dying. And in terms of their relationship with their bodies, they would eventually die. And it left us heirs, H-E-I-R-S, heirs of a nature that wants what it wants when it wants it and the heck with you. And the only difference between the offense of really of a two-year-old and today are the complexities of our self-centeredness and offenses against what the Bible says is a holy God. We want what we want when we want it and we see the evidence of that everywhere. You see it in your own life. You see it in the lives of others. You see it in the lives of two-year-olds fighting over the same toy. You see it in the lives of college students when you may want to You may see something you want that's your roommates and you just take it because you want what you want. Uh, Because we want to be in control. Um, William Ernest Henley wrote a poem uh, back in the 1800s, I believe, and uh, it's called Invictus. And the last stanza of the the, uh, poem says this, it matters not how straight the gate, in other words, how narrow the gate, how fraught with punishment the scroll, in other words, the law. I am the, cap- the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And that's really what every one of us says in one form or another. But Jesus, the Bible teaches, comes in the midst of our self-reliance and says, hey, you're headed in the wrong direction. I am the way. You're believing a lie. I am the truth. And when it comes to your relationship with me, you're dead, we're separated. But I am the life and that's why I came, to give you, to fill you with me. Because here's what Jesus says, you need my life, you need me. You don't just need my teaching, you need me. I am the one that gives you my life. Remember John 10.10, we looked at this earlier, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly to the full. And then John, I love this scripture here, John 3.16, scripture maybe many of you are familiar with, but just maybe hear this for the first time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish, would not be separated from God, but would receive life, would receive Christ's life. Now that's a great statement. It's a wonderful statement. But I love to take this statement and say, for God so loved you and you and you and you. God so loved you, Liz. God so loved you, Joanne. God so loved you, Val, that he gave his only son. Not some big corporate free-for-all. He came for you. And he came for me, if what the Bible says is true. This is the declaration of a God who through the Bible and through histories, and through history, he's initiated and opened the door for a relationship, giving the world a savior, Jesus. And we're going to dive into this a whole lot deeper into the next few weeks. But, you know, Alpha is really about asking questions. It's about asking questions. These are just some of the, the questions of life. What is, I mean, these are questions we should consider. What is the meaning of my life? Can I really know that God cares for me? Will this pain in my heart ever go away? Is, is Jesus the way, the truth, the life for that? 
How do I deal with the guilt and regret in my life? Is there any way to get this 10,000-pound block off of my guilty and regretful heart? And then how do I make sense of the suffering in this world? See, these are some of the questions that we are going to be tackling over the next three weeks. Okay, so I'm about to close now. So let's close out by going back to Shia LaBeouf, our friend. He says, I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days don't think they're worthy. No idea where the insecurity comes from, but it's a God-sized hole. And he'd thrown a lot in it, wouldn't you say? And it's still a God-sized hole. If I knew, I'd fill it and I'd be on my way. I, I guess he needed to be transformed. I'm not quite sure. But, um, sorry. Um, but here, if you just be listening to a guy that's a little bit older than he, a guy by the name of Blaise Pascal, famous mathematician and philosopher, this is, this is what Pascal said in around the year 1660. He says, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled, never be uh, fulfilled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. That was Pascal's experience. Is that the truth? We're going to unpack that a little bit more. So how about you and me, for the next three weeks, we make a date. Food will be wonderful. For those of you who are here, I have no idea what you're serving one another here in your homes, but the friendship and the conversations will be enriching. But uh, let's come together to explore if there really is more to life than this. Now, we're going to take a a, a break in just a quick moment. I'm done. But uh, just one thing real quickly. Now, it could be a little harder to hear. We have less people, but we've got a bigger distance apart from one another. And so you may want to assume the alpha position, which uh, is just basically cupping your hands around your ears. It looks weird, but you can actually, I can actually hear myself better now. Um, so uh, that'll be a way to help here. Um, but we'll, so we'll take a quick break. But, but this is something. You can talk if you want to. Don't, please don't feel intimidated where you have to talk. Um, but again, I promise you, you get more out of it. I just saw this article here. It says, happy people talk more and with more substance. So that if you don't talk, we're just going to assume you're depressed and really shallow. <laughs> so anyway, I thank you so much for being here tonight. I hope to see you here next week, 6.30 for dinner, 7 o'clock for the talk. We appreciate you being here. Let's just take a quick break. I'm going to put some questions up for you at home if you'd like to continue the conversation or have the conversation with your friends at home. Thank you all for being here.